me kind of the sections of how it works. We show you uh, what we call the minor judges and how they uh, how they fit in. And we'll probably do uh, have to do some more Bible study uh, to get there. So, all right. So, um, chapter one. Okay, let's quick review. Chapter one. Um, chronicles the failure of each tribe and taking the land coming out of the book of Joshua. Everybody got that? Check. Okay. Chapter 2, uh, the angel of the Lord. Remember we talked last week about the angel of the Lord. This is the uh, the angel who appears to Moses in the burning bush, appears to Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, the one that leads the nation in. Um this is what uh, in Exodus chapter uh, 32, the Lord tells Moses that I will not go with you. My Moses, uh, my angel will lead you into the land. And so this is the, the angel that has led them into the land, uh, but they have not obeyed the word of the Lord. Uh, they broken a covenant. And so uh, the angel introduces uh, what we call these um, cycles, of, uh, cycles of sin. Okay. That, um, uh, that the way that it works, that Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord judges them for the purpose of getting them to repent. And then once they repent, the Lord raises up a deliverer. Okay, so that's chapter chapter two. Okay. Chapter three uh, begins with the judge Othniel. Remember we talked uh, to you about, uh, about Othniel, uh, that... Uh, in both uh, the book of uh, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 15, uh, and in uh, Judges, Othniel, this story of Othniel is, uh, is told. We'll, we'll circle back around to that. Uh, and then chapter 4, uh, and here we're talking about the major judges, right? You've got, uh, you've got Othniel, you've got Ehud. When we say major judges, it's kind of like major and minor prophets. Uh, The, uh, the prophet doesn't come on the scene and say, I'm a major prophet. Listen to me. And the minor prophets don't come on the scene and say, yeah, not so much. I'm, I'm just kind of a minor guy. Right? Um, we call them major and minor prophets, at least in English Bible, just because of the size of the book. Right? So Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are longer books. They're called, so they're the major prophets. I don't know why Daniel's not whole lot longer than some of the minors, but anyway, uh, than the minor problem. Same thing with the judges. So we have uh, what, uh, you know, the judges, uh, the major judges, they occupy a lot of space in the book. And then you've got some minor judges. The first minor judge that's introduced is at the end of chapter 20, uh, in chapter three, verse 31, and his name is Shamgar, okay? Son of Anat. Um, Shamgar, uh, you wouldn't know this by reading that in the English translation, uh, but Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. Uh, Hebrew names have a core uh, three letters uh, that is a Hebrew word that builds the name. Shamgar is not a, he's not Hebrew. He's not a, he's not an Israelite. So God raises up a foreigner to deliver Israel. Then he raises up a, uh, a woman. You've got Deborah and Barak. Barak is uh, too timid to do his job. And so Deborah uh, is there to assist him. Okay? Uh, then on the other side of, uh, of this um, chapters uh, four and five, Deborah and Barak, uh, and that deliverance is uh, is um, Gideon. And Gideon uh, is um, either called Gideon or Jerubbaal. Um, and, it, and it will go back and forth with his name, Gideon or Jerubbaal, uh, which means to, uh, contended with Baal. Uh, Jeru is to contend, Baal is Baal. So he's going to contend with Baal. Um, Introduced to Abimelech, uh, uh, 
he's the next uh, judge. Uh, um, after this uh, Gideon story, um, uh, um, they come to Gideon and they ask him to be king over them. He says, I will not be king over you. And then his son, Abimelech, uh, judges, put that in air quotes, judges the nation um, after Gideon. Uh, Abimelech's name means my father is king. Uh, the A-B is Ab, that's father. You, you know Abba, you'll hear people say Abba. That's father. The I is my father. The, the I is the my part. Avi, my father. Melech is king. So Avi, Melech, my father is king. So Gideon's going to say, no, no, I'm not going to be your king. Just give me all the stuff the kings aren't allowed to have. Uh, and then I'll meet my son. Uh, what's his name? His name is my father's king. Uh, so there's great irony there. Uh, and then in chapter 10, you're introduced to these minor prophets, Tola, Ja'ar, uh, you get in, uh, in chapter 12, you get Isbon. Uh, and so I want to uh, kind of talk to you, Is uh, Isbon, uh, Elon, and Abdon. I, I want to talk about these minor, pro these minor prophets today and kind of how they contribute uh, to the book, okay? Uh, and this will go a long way towards helping you understand how to interpret the Bible. Um, so look at chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 3. Um, this is after Abimelech, so Abimelech dies. Um, and after him, verse 3, 10, 3, Jaar, the Gileadite, arose and judged Israel for 23 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. And they uh, had 30 cities in the land of Gilead. Uh, and they are called Havot Jar to this day. Uh, Havot uh, means um, cities or towns, more like a town. Uh, these are towns of Jar to this day. And Jar died and was buried in Kamon. Now, what are we supposed to make of that? All right, you got to know the story. You got to know the Bible story. So go all the way back to Genesis. Does that shock you? <laughs> We're going back to Genesis. It's like all the way back to Genesis, chapter four, right? Remember in Genesis chapter three, uh, the Lord tells. Uh, uh, the serpent, I will put any between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. And after this, in chapter 4, you get these two sides, these two teams uh, that are developed. A team of believers and a team who reject the Lord. Okay? Now remember what's going on in the book of Judges. You're beginning with Othniel, who's just like Caleb, and you're heading towards Samson, who does what's good right in his eyes all the time. He doesn't do what's good right in the eyes of the Lord, okay? So, Othniel does what's good right in the eyes of the Lord. Samson does what's good right in his own eyes. And there's the contrast. Okay? And so, increasingly, these judges in the book are rejecting the word of the Lord and doing what's good right in their own eyes. Does that make sense? Okay, now, the narrators, that's not good storytelling if you tell people what's going on in the story, right? The narrator doesn't break in and interpret everybody's words so that you get it. That's not how movies work. I was talking yesterday with one of the other professors and we were talking about, you know, some of these movies. Uh, I, I saw one clip of the channels. It's about the Apostle Paul. And um, I don't know if it's called Paul or something, but it's Paul and Luke. It's this movie about Paul and Luke and their relationship. Well, most of it's made up, right? It didn't have what well, I don't know if it happened or not, but it's not in the Bible, and so there's a lot of creative license used in that movie. Uh, why? Because narrators uh, don't break into movies. All of the characters say things, and what they say and what they do is how you're supposed you're supposed you know how you're supposed to interpret by what they say and what they do. Does that make sense? 
Now, so back in Genesis chapter three, there's two teams are being developed. One that's trying to do is, you know, is, is walking by faith, doing what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. The other is rejecting the word of the Lord and doing what's good and right in their own eyes. Okay. So in chapter four, uh, you get Cain and Abel. Cain is on one team, Abel is on the other. And the relationship between Cain and Abel is enmity. In fact, Cain kills Abel. Okay. Um, Seth comes, Seth replaces Abel, and uh, that's chapter five. So uh, God made Adam in his, his image according to his likeness, and Adam had a son in his image. And so you get this image bearer tracking down through Adam, through Seth, uh, and Seth's going to have a, other sons and daughters, okay? Uh, and then he's going to have Enoch. And Enoch is going to have other sons and daughters, but Enoch has one in his image, and that's Enoch. And Enoch has other sons and daughters, but there's one after Enoch that's like Enoch. Does that make sense? Just as Caleb chooses Othniel, because Othniel is like Caleb, so the same thing's going on here all the way through the generations. With me? And Trastley on the uh, on the other side, you have Cain. Uh, Cain kills uh, Abel. Uh, in verse uh, 17, chapter 4, verse 17, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. So there's an Enoch on this side of the equation as well. There's a good Enoch that walks with God. There's a bad Enoch that follows Cain, image bearer of Cain, which is an image bearer of Satan. And he built a city. And he named the city Enoch. Now, you got to remember back in Genesis chapter 1, God creates man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. To make image bearers who will represent his character, make his name great throughout uh, creation, rather than make man's name great throughout creation. Particularly your own name. Because at the fall, what man does is he says, you're not God, I'm God. And then he starts making things in his image according to his likeness, rather than in God's image according to God's likeness. This is uh, what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Does that make sense? Uh, if you hear the music in the background, guys, uh, we've got a church uh, going over here just on the edge of the property, and the wind is very uh, favorable for them. <laughs> so we're getting uh, worship service. And Sunday school at the same time. It's not bad. Okay, is that making sense? Everybody tracking? Okay, so uh, so Enoch builds a city. City. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. What would be the opposite of be fruitful and multiply and spread out, fill the earth, and subdue it? Make God's name great. What well, would be uh, gather in one place and make your own name great? All right? Does that remind you of anything, by the way? Gather in one place, make your own name great, and build buildings. It's Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, right? So what is introduced here in chapter 4, everyone is doing in chapter 11. Make sense? Everybody comes together, gathers in one place. Let's, let us build a tower that goes up to God, right? Uh, and so uh, God, in response to that, judges them, confuses their language, and disperses them among the land. So uh, that's heading towards be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. You're getting the earth filled, but it's filled with a bunch of heathen, right? Um, so when the judges are building cities and naming them after themselves, that's a problem, right? Uh, that didn't happen throughout world history, did it? Men conquer a city or build a city and name it after themselves. Yeah, that's nothing new, right? Uh, welcome to Davidville, right, or whatever. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> the elevation of yourself, okay? So the genealogy continues, verse uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 18. Enoch, uh, Mahujael, Mahujael, Methusael, Methusael, Lamech. And Lamech had... Two wives. Uh, he was the first to take two wives. Okay. Um, this is going to show up as well. Can you give me an example of when the narrator wants to say, hey, this guy's doing exactly what Lamech did? 
anybody in this story have more than one life that you know of? Yeah, some of them go over the top. One in particular. 700 of them. Solomon. King Solomon. Solomon. I thought he was so wise. Yeah, well, I'm trying to figure out how he was so wise. Maybe he learned to be wise because he was so stupid. Huh? There's some value to that. We learn from mistakes. Uh, Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the first was Ada. The name of the other was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and raise livestock. Those who play the lyre and the pipe, forger of uh, instruments, all this stuff. Uh, they are doing, they're making a name for themselves, right? They are known by what they do. They're known by their craft, by their profession, by their, uh, what was Noah's profession? I don't know. Lord told him to build a boat and build a boat. Guess he was a boat builder. That wasn't his profession because there were no boats before. <laughs> you don't need any boats before there was any water. You know, I guess unless you're trying to. Anyway. Okay, is this making sense? All right. Um, flip over to. Uh, so go back to, uh, to Judges. Go back to Judges chapter 10. After him, Jar the Gileadite arose and judged Israel for 22 years, 10-2. And he had 30 sons. How do you get 30 sons? Lots of wives. Who rode on, uh, who, uh, rode on 30 donkeys. Okay, now, who rides on a donkey? Humble people. Royalty rides on donkeys. So we're just coming out of, uh, remember Christ enters in uh, on, uh, on a donkey, right? This is the yeah. king enters in. It was a, uh, an animal of peace. During wartime, you rode a horse in the battle if you were the king. But during peacetime, the king, when a king was introduced to his people, he came in peace riding on a donkey. This was the triumphal entry of Christ, okay? Uh, you just came off of a story where Gideon is asked by the nation, be our king, he says, I won't be your king. Then they choose uh, Abimelech to be king, or he acts like king over them. How are these guys acting? How are these sons acting? They're acting like kings, right? So there are uh, 30 sons, multiple wives, 30 donkeys acting like kings with 30 cities and they're naming it after themselves. How's that going for you? <laughs> See what the narrator's doing, right? He's just telling you the story and you're supposed to go, oh no, 30 sons, oh no, 30 donkeys, oh no. Named them cities of jaw, oh no, right? Flip over to chapter 12, verse eight. Now, Isman of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. This is, uh, this is after Jephthah, another, another judge. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he gave in marriage outside of the family. Now, hold your finger. Go back to chapter uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, whenever I read Judges, uh, it reminds me of a poker game. Right, uh, with a bunch of people, uh, you know, you deal the cards, and then someone uh, uh, throws in their bet. Right, I'll bet you thirty sons. And the next guy says, "I'll see your thirty sons, and I'll raise you." Oh yeah, how are you going to raise me? Well, I have thirty sons and thirty daughters, and I'll let them intermarry outside of Israel. Right, Deuteronomy chapter five. When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land, chapter what did I say? Seven, seven, chapter seven, verse one. He clears the way for all the ites. 
You shall not intermarry with them. Verse 3, 7, 3. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So what's the saying? saying, 30 sons, 30 daughters married outside the family. And he judged for seven years. Elon judged Israel after him, and he judged Israel for 10 years. And he died. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, judged Israel after him. And he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. See how it just keeps getting elevated, elevated. You know, uh, I think we're going the wrong way here, right? Uh, can it get worse? Let me tell you about Samson. Okay. Uh, Samson uh, is born. He's a Nazarite. He's born. Um, chapter uh, 13. Chapter 14. Uh, he's, well, chapter 13, he is born a Nazarite. Okay. What does that mean? A Nazarite is explained in Numbers chapter 6. Okay. Uh, the Nazarite vow is, is, uh, is in Numbers chapter 6. So put back to Numbers chapter 6. Uh, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or a woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink. Uh, neither shall he drink any grape juice or eat any uh, dried grapes. Uh, do you remember the Samson story? Uh, do you remember what he's walking through in the story? He's walking along and he's walking through a vineyard. Who grows in vineyards? Great. Why is he in a vineyard? He needs to be staying far away from them grapes. Okay. Uh, so, number one, you stay away from grapes. Why? I don't know. Grapes, wine, whatever. Number two, uh, well, all the days of his uh, separation, he shall not eat anything produced by the grapevine, the seeds, or even his skins. Number two, verse five, all the days of his vow, he shall not cut his hair. No razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled, which he separated the Lord. Um, number three, he shall not go near a dead person, nor make himself unclean, for his mother or father, or his brother or his sister when they die. So in other words, if uh, if mother, you know, if their father dies, well, you don't go around any, any dead people. You don't make yourself unclean, okay? So we catch up with Samson. What's this narrator gonna tell you the story? He says, now here's a Nazarite strolling through a vineyard, comes across a dead lion, unclean animal, Notices some honey in the unclean animal, dead carcass. He eats the honey out of the dead carcass, walking through the vineyard, passing by idols. None of this is supposed to be any good. And he, then he goes and he sees this girl from Timna, who's a Philistine. He says, she looks good to me. She's right in my eyes. Hey, mom, dad, get her, for she is right in my eyes. And they say, they quote Deuteronomy chapter 7. Well, can't find any good Israelite girl. No, I want her. Uh, by the end of the story, uh, he has come close to or violated all three of those. The last one is cutting his head. Loses his strength and all that. Um, so he is doing what's good and right in his own eyes. Tracking? Now there's great irony it's all, the way through, all the way through the story. Okay? Uh, doing what's good and right in your own eyes. Uh, that's the contrast uh, that's uh, between the people who are uh, image bearers. They walk by faith, not by sight. And those who walk by sight, not by faith. 
um, there's this repeated language. Um, Abraham says, Abram at this point says to Sarai, do to her what's good in your eyes. That's not, that's not good. It's never good to do that. Um, this is in uh, uh, chapter, this is back in chapter uh, I guess 16 of uh, Genesis. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Where does that remind you? Eve. Yeah, it's Adam and Eve. Yeah, so all of these stories, you have to keep the story going because all of these stories are going to play off of each other. Okay? If it was bad there, it's still bad here. Okay? Um, this is why you can't just say, okay, I'm going to study this chapter. You can't just study a chapter. Um, you've got to study the Bible up to that and then see what happens after that to make sure you've understood that, that chapter. Okay. Um, do you remember uh, Isaac? Isaac has two sons. Yes? What were their names? Do you remember? Jacob and Esau. Esau. Good. Uh, tell me about Jacob and Esau. One of them is going to be the child of promise, is the child of promise. You're going to have to work on it, Jacob. The other is Esau. Esau has no regard for his birthright. Nothing. Whose side is Esau on? Satan is on Satan's side. Whose side is Jacob going to be? On the, right, on the right side. Good. Um, so, um, whose uh, side? Mm. We can't, we can't hear you, David. There we go. I'm working on it. Okay, so you all, there we go. Okay, um, so Isaac aligns himself with Esau. Isaac wants to bless Esau. Isaac's wife uh, uh, wants to bless Jacob. Okay, how does Isaac's wife get Isaac to bless Jacob? Because he cannot see. It's only when he can't see. He actually does what's good right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. Uh, David have a problem with girls. David, King David. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Till the end, when he was what? Yeah, Bathsheba. How did he get in trouble with Bathsheba? He saw that she was beautiful. Saw that she was tall. That's the fall language. Right? Uh, First Kings. Now he's too blind. He's blind, he can't see. Um, uh, this is going to happen all the way through the story. Um, uh, you get this uh, blindness. So Samson does what's good right in his own eyes, doesn't deliver Israel while he can see. When does he begin to deliver Israel? When his eyes are gouged out. You're going to see this all the way through. Um, so doing what's good and right in your own eyes um, is, is language. It's code language, right? Israel was created to not do what was good and right in their own eyes, but to do what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. How do they know what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord? The Lord tells them. How does he tell them? He tells them to the prophet, right? Uh, and so... So these judges are doing what's good right in their own eyes, and so you're watching this go right down the trail. Okay? It just, you know. Now, you gotta pay attention because, for example, Jephthah, go back to, uh, go, so turn back to Judges. Uh, in Judges uh, chapter uh, 11, Jephthah's gonna make a vow. Um, um, a vow that is going to um, to cost him his uh, one of his children. 
as you go forward in the story to Saul, Saul's going to do the same thing. And it's going to cost him Jonathan. So, right? And so, so that, that's how this, this Bible story happens. It's introduced in a story. Something happens. It's introduced in a story. And then when it happens again, you go, oh, no, I've heard this. In Judges chapter 19, um, it came about in those days there was no king in Israel. A certain Levite, a Levite was staying in a remote uh, part of the hill country of Ephraim. And he took his concubine for himself, took a concubine for himself. You know what? A Levite taking a concubine. This is, this is uh, we've moved past the judges uh, in one through, uh, 1 through 16. And now we're evaluating the priests. I'm just showing you how this language works. Okay? And how you have to pay attention to a story because you probably are going to hear it again. His concubine played the harlot. He rose. He goes to his concubine's dad's house, wins her back, and then he sets out on a journey. He goes past Jebus, and he comes to Gibeah. Uh, he says, let us go to Gibeah, okay? Uh, he goes into the, uh, the open square of the city, verse 15, 20, uh, 1915. An old man was there coming in from his field. He says, where are you going? Where are you coming from? Verse, nine, uh, verse 18, he said, we're passing from Bethlehem to Judah, the remotest part, and all this stuff. The old man said, uh, look, you can't stay in the open square. Do not spend the night in the open square. The last time you heard that was in Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. So he took him in the house, gave him a donkey, and while they were married, the, uh, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding on the door, and spoke to the owner and said, bring out the, the visitor, the stranger, who's in your house, so we may have a relationship. It's just Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. Right? So you're going to hear these stories repeated again and again and again. So you've got to pay attention. This is how, uh, yeah, this is just how story works. Um, you'll see it in movies. Uh, you'll see foreshadowing. You'll see something that's introduced in the first scene of a movie show up in the last scene of the movie or in later scenes or in a sequel, right? Um, and, uh, and so that's just basic storytelling. And one of the problems I think that we run into in making it, uh, the Bible hard to understand is we don't read it like we read a story. Does that make sense? Uh, let me change the subject just a little bit because um, really what we've talked what we're talking about here is how do you read the Bible and how do you interpret it? Does that make sense? Okay. Not just the book of Judges, but we're kind of going outside the book of Judges. I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm working on a journal article uh, on parables okay. on how uh, to interpret parables. Um, parables are in the Gospels, the parables of the Gospels. That makes sense. So Jesus teaches a parable. Uh, well, here's how you interpret the parable. You read it in the story. Um, so whether it's Matthew or Mark or Luke, they're writing these, these, this story of Jesus. Jesus comes, he presents himself to Israel, Israel rejects him, the Pharisees challenge Jesus. And so Jesus then, because they challenge him, says, I once knew a man who, or there was a, once a man who, or uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is life, or something like this, right? So he starts off with this parable. The parable always addresses what's going on immediately in the story. Does that make sense? Uh, now, the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, were scoffing at these things. And, see, and so he told them this parable, saying, told who the parable? Them. Them who? Uh, them, the Pharisees, who had the problem with what he was saying. He says, well, there was a certain rich man who used to dress in purple, very rich and wealthy, and a certain poor man 
name was Lazarus. Right. Who's the bad guy in the parable? The rich man. Who's the bad guy in the story? The Pharisee. You're supposed to connect those two. Certainly, the, the Pharisees did. Okay? Uh, and so, when I tell seminary students this, I, I think they're half offended. I think they're all offended. They just, not many of them are brave enough to say it. You're not in the Bible. The Bible's not about you. And that goes against everything we were, we're teaching in the church, where Every verse is about you, it's your life verse, and all this stuff. So no, no. Uh, the Gospels are about Jesus. They're not about you. Nothing that Jesus does in the Gospels can you do. You can't heal anybody. You can't walk on water. You can't, you know, feed people with a few fish and a few loaves. You can't do any of it. And I tell them, look, if... If you could do anything Jesus did, you wouldn't need Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. You wouldn't need the Gospels, right? Uh, and so the Bible is written to them for our instruction. We're supposed to read that, hear that story and understand, oh, that has implications for my life. Does that make sense? Every movie works that way. You never, ever once have watched a movie, well, yeah, none of you. Maybe you, Robert, but you know. I'm assuming you're not absolutely certified crazy. Here it is. Uh, there's a uh, Friends episode. Joey Tribbiani is, plays a doctor on a soap opera. Um, What's his name? Dr. Drake Remort. He meets this, uh, Brooke Shields is a guest appearance on the show. And she plays someone who actually thinks that Dr. Drake Remort is real. And she goes and she meets Dr. Drake Remort and she sees him on the television and she can't figure out because she's seeing him right here. And she's She's nuts. She's crazy. It's not real. You know it's not real. Uh, you don't watch Star Wars and say, the next time I meet that Darth Vader, we're going to have, I'm going to, well, talking to him. Yeah. No. Um, but there are, uh, this is how story works. Uh, it's why it's so effective. It's, it's indirect. Okay? It, it creeps up on you and it grabs you. Um, I, I think it's a great teaching tool because it kind of sneaks around and grabs you from behind, right? Uh, Jesus and teaching his disciples and teaching the Pharisees. The Pharisees have been entrusted with management of the people, the kingdom, the word of God. It's about to be taken from them and given to uh, the disciples. He says, you know, there was a certain, this is right after Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 16, he says, there was a certain steward, an unjust steward, and the owner found out that he was an unjust steward, and so he's going to take his stewardship from him. Now that story is being told, and Jesus makes a point at the end that, that applies. So the application of the story is the point. The point to them then and there, also the point to the reader. Okay? Now, in the book of Judges, we're not uh, the original intended reader. We're not Israel. Uh, nonetheless, um, we are created to be image bearers. Are we to do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord? Um, or do we to reject what's good and right in our own eyes? Um, were the rules for Israel different than the rules for us? Some of them. Some of them. Because things in the story have changed. Does that make sense? Example. 
um, we're gathering here. Uh, the church isn't offering sacrifices. Um, in the Old Testament, you had to go to Jerusalem. You had to go to the temple. And that was the only place that sacrifices were accepted. Our, our sacrifice looks very different in the Old Testament sacrifice. Does that make sense? So some things are changing. How do you know they changed? I read the story. I watched the, the story. Or more uh, likely, in church history, in world history, history of Israel, they heard the story. The story was told to them. Right? Uh, so when you're reading uh, the, uh, the book of Judges, so next week what we'll do, let's see how we're doing. Next year, next week what we'll do is um, uh, we will uh, work through the, uh, the, the, the Judges. Uh, we'll start with Othman. We'll go to Ehud, and then we'll, we'll work down through the, the judges. I want you to be looking for literary allusions. You know what that is? Literary illusion. Um, things in the story that are summoning previous things that have happened in the Bible. Uh, hey, this isn't good. Right. Um, and and if you don't understand the previous context within which this context is to be understood, you'll misinterpret. Okay? Um, you will uh, say, man, that Caleb, boy, he's not a very good guy. Why? Because he's, he's choosing a, uh, a son-in-law you know, to the guy who's you know, the best warrior. No, that's not what he's doing. He's not getting a trophy wife, uh, giving his daughter as a trophy wife. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he understands uh, that men of faith in Israel are the only ones that overtake cities. Uh, you're going to fast forward. David and Jonathan are going to do this. They'll take over city by themselves. Uh, so Caleb knows this is the only way that, uh, that men of faith destroy cities is because God is with them. Okay. Um, Gideon. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Um, Going to go, go in battle. Right. How is that? Uh, how does that work out? How, how, how is he instructed to go into battle? Yeah, he's going to go in there with uh, with a couple hundred men, no swords, right? No weapons, no guns, no horses. Right? They're going to carry a trumpet and clay pots and uh, some torches. Carry their torches, blow the trumpet, smash the pot, see what happens. It's a horrible battle plan. It's a horrible battle plan. Uh, Israel takes uh, uh, takes Jericho. How? Marching around. Walk around it seven times, and then they shout, blow the trumpet, and shout. Great. It's a horrible plan. What's the point? The Lord is going to make sure they don't get any credit for it, right? And so Caleb says. I want a son-in-law who's just like me. I don't want a uh, Goliath. I want someone who can slay Goliath. And little boys don't kill giants. No more than little boys kill lions and bears with their bare hands. Unless the Lord is with them. Does that make sense? And so you will misinterpret if you don't know the previous <clears throat> story. Uh, this walk by walk by faith. Tracking. So um, I think most of um, what I do teaching, I think I've kind of narrowed it down. I just say, hey, did you see that? You notice that over there? That's it. Did you see that? That says the same thing as that. They go, 
Oh, yeah. Huh. Maybe it was mean the same thing. Maybe it's talking about the same thing. Maybe it all fits together. Right. So I can't read it for you. I can't uh, explain it. In fact, once you, if, if we all get on this same trail, you'll come up with stuff just as fast or faster than I can. In fact, that's the great benefit of teaching a lot, is you'll have some student raise their hand and say something. Well, sometimes they raise their hand and say something idiotic. Sometimes they raise their hand and they say things that are brilliant. Um, just a quick story, and then we'll, we'll finish. Uh, I may have told this before. There was a student years ago when I was teaching at Southwestern. His name was Michael McElvin. Have I told you this story? You probably heard it, Katie. I don't know if the rest of you have. I'll never forget this guy, ever. Well, unless I lose my mind, which, okay. If I don't lose my mind, I won't forget, I won't forget this guy. Um, it was the Exodus class. He walks in and sits down. He caught my attention immediately for several reasons. First of all, he came into the second row and sat about right there. Um, he had blonde hair down to his waist, straight blonde hair down to his waist, pulled back in a ponytail hanging to his waist. He had no computer, no bag, no Bible. He leans back in his chair and puts his feet crossed on the table. <laughs> Caught my attention. <laughs> so, the, so I just start teaching. I'm going, I, I wonder what this guy is all about. This is a Told the class, look, this is Exodus. We've got 14 weeks to cover the book of Exodus. We'll probably take half that time at least to cover Genesis because if we don't cover Genesis, I'm wasting my time at Exodus because I'll be going, do you remember back when? And they're going, no, I don't remember back when. So let's just go back and cover it. So I started going through Genesis, walked him through Genesis. You know, after the class, he walked up and he said, um, the first sentence was, uh, he said, uh, this is the first time anybody's ever said anything in church or at this seminary that made any sense to me. Huh. I didn't know what to say to that. And he said, oh, yeah. And then he went on to say, this is what happens when post-modernity pukes all over you. I'll never forget that line. Uh, he was looking for something to latch on to, something to have to. The guy was brilliant. He was brilliant. He walks in. Uh, fast forward a couple semesters, we're in the Gospels, and he asked me a question about uh, Peter's father's name. He said, yeah, what's Peter's father's name? I said, well... I knew when he answered when he asked me the question, I realized what he was asking because it actually says son of John or son of Jonah. It sounds close in English, but in the Greek they're not even close. I said, Well, Michael, um you know, one account son of uh, John, one account is son of Jonah. Gospel of John, Matthew. I don't know. He said, can I take a shot at it? Yeah. He said, he's called son of Jonah in chapter 16 of Matthew, right after Peter is commissioned to lead the church. And the way he's going to lead the church is he's going to go and he's going to proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Correct? I went, yeah. What's the sign of resurrection? Jonah. Sign of Jonah. Back in chapter 12 of Matthew. He said, so I think what he's doing is he's saying Peter is going to go proclaim the resurrection of Christ in the church. Said, Michael, you got it. Check that one. I've been teaching it ever since. So once you get these students on the trail, once once you start reading down the trail, you don't think you don't need a PhD to do this. And actually, reading the Bible becomes great. A lot of it's enjoyable. It makes sense. Um, and it's so refreshing to pull books off the shelf in here in my office and 
you know, open it up and someone says, this is what it says, I'm going, exactly. Where's this been? Right? Uh, books that were written 100 years ago, 70 years ago. See, they got it. We just have lost our, lost our trail. How do we get back on the trail? Read it. You've got to start reading the Bible again. For yourself, as a story. Does that make sense? Are you saying the older commentaries are more accurate than the Bible? Some, yeah, some of the older ones. The, the, the present-day commentaries are, I don't know, they're dealing with all of our stuff. Uh, we seem more interested in fixing our problems, which can't be fixed, right? Um, I'm dealing with back issues, um, getting no sleep. Okay, so what? I take pills, that doesn't work. Okay, well, let's get surgery. That's not gonna work. Uh, I'm not gonna wake up when I'm 60 and it's gonna feel better than when I'm 51. It's just, the ship has sailed. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Just get a little remote control, my little wheelchair, and four wheel drive, and we'll run it around that. I got a limited number of days to ride horses. I'm going to ride them until my back's totally gone because I know where this is headed. These problems aren't getting better. They're getting worse and then you die. If that sounds melancholy or pessimistic to you, it's because you're young and you don't know better. <laughs> As we get older, we realize, yeah, that's where this thing's headed. So, um, so we occupy ourselves with trying to fix all of our problems rather than looking towards the one who will ultimately fix our problems. And I think that's the difference between commentators who lived in a more realistic time when a disease that affects a handful causes the world to end, right? Uh, th this, this couldn't happen. This wouldn't happen 100 years ago. Couldn't happen 100 years ago. Only can we now stop and sit on our rear ends for months on end and still eat. <laughs> this makes no sense to me, right? Only now in history can something this, like this happen. I was gonna say this stupid, so I stopped myself, but then I had to re-say it anyway, right? Okay, so all that to say, read your Bible, right? So we're gonna uh, pick up with Othniel, uh, read Joshua chapter 15, and be looking for places in the story where you've, you've heard this before, you've read this before, does that make sense? Um, and the Bible becomes an amazing story. I can, uh, I, I, we're past time, so I'll, I'll tell you that next week. Um, Reese, maybe remind me next week of telling the story of when I became convinced that the Bible was, in fact, inspired. Not just something we say, but actually is inspired. All right, so we'll do that next week. Let me close in prayer. We'll be back. Lord, thanks for our time. For these folks, uh, for your words uh, that you've given to us, that we continue to study in the book of uh, Judges. Uh, help us. Help us to be good readers, be good listeners, uh, so that we see the mistakes that have been made in the past and not repeat them in our lives. So we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank Great you, to David. see all y'all. See y'all here. Let me say goodbye to these online people. Thank you.